Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. From Autosport.com and Autosport Magazine, I'm Martin Lee, and this is the Autosport Podcast. Forza Ferrari coming home first and second in the first round of the 2022 Formula One World Championship. Ferrari not only back on the top step, but also a 1-2 for Leclerc. Winning the Bahrain Grand Prix, second Carlos Sainz Jr. and third Lewis Hamilton in the first Mercedes, followed by his teammate George Russell in fourth butts. The story of the race, of course, uh, can't be told without the two Red Bull retirements. First of all, Max Verstappen, after the final pit stop, suffering from a steering issue, which he seemed to be driving around. He said after the uh, race finished that... It was almost undrivable in the fast corners when the car was loading up. And at the time of recording this podcast around 9 o'clock on Sunday night, we think it was a steering track rod issue, possibly bent or maybe misaligned when it was dropped down from its jacks after the final pit stop. Not a power steering problem or hydraulic failure, which was speculated during the race, but he seemed to be driving around that issue. Uh, Didn't make a great restart after the safety car he says that's because he just couldn't get the car straight literally couldn't get the car straightened out uh, to get the power down and follow Leclerc for that restart 
That safety car was caused by Alpha Tauri's Pierre Gasly. Uh, around lap 44, the car seemed to shut down and then set fire to itself quite spectacularly. Uh, we'll find out what that was all about on the podcast today. And Max Verstappen's teammates, Sergio Perez, with just a lap to go whilst fending off Lewis Hamilton. Uh, Perez at the time in third position, also suffering what was listed as a power unit failure. The same reason that Max Verstappen uh, would be in lap 54, retiring from the Grand Prix with a power unit failure. But we think, again, we don't know yet until that investigation is complete at the time of recording this podcast, something to do with the fuel pickup system in both cars. That, of course, is a common FAA-mandated part, not made by Red Bull. So we'll wait and see the reaction to that. If we go back to the beginning of testing, we mentioned Ferrari were looking okay, but these things tend to come back and bite us on the bum, and our listeners and our readers will tell us about it if we do get these things wrong, but... For a while, we've been saying they're looking all right. Joined on the podcast today by Autosport.com editor Hayden Cobb, our F1 reporter Matt Q, and our F1 reporter in Bahrain, Luke Smith. Luke, I'll go back to Barcelona testing where there was a train line running behind the circuits. And you mentioned maybe just a few people want to buy a ticket just in case they want to get on the Ferrari hype train. It's left the station and it is barreling down the line. I mean, that Ferrari hype train is its going to be packed, right, from now on. That was an amazing start to the season, Luke. It really was, yeah. I think after all of the expectations that have been built up through pre-season and the moment that Ferrari unveiled that radical-looking F175 car, we kind of thought, oh, this, this looks pretty good. And there's the old sort of cliche in motorsport that if it looks fast, it will be fast. And that obviously is not always true but uh yeah it was it was just such a dominant display by ferrari today i think them and red bull were very very evenly matched red bull maybe had a bit of a pace advantage overall i think but it was leclerc looks in real control it was a really good battle between him and verstappen it was very very clean which was good and basically the moment that verstappen overcooks it at the third attempt to try and get past leclerc from then on leclerc seemed just to have everything under control it's very serene and and i i commented on this i think i was talking to alex kalanorkas our grand pre-editor at the track the other day and I said that everything from Ferrari this year has just seemed very calm very serene everything's just going really well executed and I think the race today was a perfect example of that it was a very very good performance all round Leclerc we've seen what he can do I mean he won, won two races brilliantly in 2019 he's been on form even in Ferrari's two low years but Ferrari are back like it's it's just so good to see F1's most famous team back on the top step of the podium that Italian anthem playing I was in the media pen while the uh, podium was going along and there were some colleagues next to me humming along to the Italian anthem because it's a very catchy tune and it's uh, it's just uh, yeah it's just a good it was a really I think just a good it's a good news story for F1 they've always said that a strong Ferrari means a strong F1 and that's very very true and I think that the nature of the win it's a good way to start the year Ferrari obviously are very, very happy, but the fact that it looks so close between the leading teams as well, it's really, really exciting. So, yeah, a very positive result, I think, all round. Uh, if you're going to bust out a cliche this early in the podcast, so will I. Maybe not a cliche, maybe a, uh, a Ron Dennis-ism, some Ron speak. To finish first, first you have to finish. That actually makes sense, because that's uh, not the worst of what he said. That one's actually true, and it was about reliability that caused our finishing order, again, to flatter some of the other drivers and teams today. Uh, Matt Q, you are going to be... Uh, you kind of like you're on a, on a job share with Alex Kalanorkas. So you're in the UK tonight, but you'll be traveling for the races that he's not going to. So, yes, Ferrari did amazingly well to get a one-two, but we can't talk about that without also mentioning 
why Red Bull weren't on the podium today. So, yes, they did well, but what did you make of those well, those last few laps when they got hit by those reliability problems? I think I'll follow your lead, Martin, and pluck out another sort of famous person from motorsport is that whole Colin Chapman thing of you design your cars for a 57 lap race you design your cars to be able to do 57 and a half laps and then it doesn't matter what happened to them unfortunately Red Bull got it one lap too short with their car or Perez's car expiring just before and, and Verstappen's as well so I think I think it's now come to light isn't it it's uh, both both of them have been isolated to a, a suspicious I think is the the quote uh, Christian Horner used in the press release but suspiciously similar uh, fuel fuel feed or fuel pump failures so it's so looking into that but I, I go along with what Luke said I think it was a great result it was uh, you know it's good to see Ferrari up there but I think on another day that that could have been Red Bull's race easily I think you know we we sort of check expectations a little bit but I think you know Max probably didn't quite nail his qualifying lap and then and then today race pace for Red Bull was was good but not inspiring but I think like I think you can probably flip a coin on whichever day and and, and those two teams can can swap around um and I just think it's probably worth worth mentioning because it's the start of a new era that it was a, it was a good race I don't think it would ever live up to expectations because everyone was so hyped up for new era new ground effect but I thought it was pretty exciting and and then having Verstappen and Leclerc have that battle for for three laps in the middle was uh was good in, good injection into the race and uh yeah, managed well, but uh, I'm sure I'm sure we'll talk about sort of um, the Red Bull sort of dramas and also AlphaTauri. But it's sort of I didn't expect so early to have such a clear powertrain pecking order where you've got the Red Bull ones going pop, the Mercedes ones a bit slow, and the Ferrari Ferrari powered cars are, are mega fast. Hayden, you are editor of Autosport.com, so you know you are in the thick of it of updating our readers online. We've got live text if people haven't checked that out. So as you know, as the race goes on every weekend, you are in the prime position to kind of get the sense of that cadence it was it was unspectacular as a rate there was some great laps but were you starting to think okay so this is i can now plan out how this is going to go and then of course everything got thrown up in the air yeah quite a bit actually um i think you've put far too much credit on my position in terms of knowing what's actually going on but i will notice note that during the live text commentary of the race i did sort of say it's amazing to see all 20 cars still running with about 15 laps to go now commentators curse normally strikes in in that sort of way and i know i didn't want any cars to not finish it's certainly not a flight on 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 alpha tower or red bull but um it was one of those where oh you've spoken too soon and and that sort of yeah ignited the the end of the race but in in different ways that were totally unpredictable which is sort of what we love about formula one but yeah the the that battle at the start was 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 fascinating. I'm sure, like you say, we got onto that in a second between Leclerc and Verstappen for the lead, um, but it did sort of hit a rhythm um, as as the race wore on. Sort of Leclerc was 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 gapping Verstappen, and generally as the race was wearing on, that the gaps were sort of spreading out, and it it, it found its order. Gasly's engine goes pop, and then. Uh, the safety car comes out and it's a little bit of carnage and a, a little bit of deja vu of Abu Dhabi. You thought, oh no, not again. Surely, surely not. Thankfully, everyone followed followed certain rules um, and yeah, it, it provided an interesting sort of outcome to the race, which Red Bull obviously will be pretty painful about, but I'm sure they can uh, hopefully figure out the, the issue and come back fighting in Saudi. You know, Luke, you're there in, in, in the thick of it. I don't know how much commentary you get. Um, how much of a sense do you get from the coverage when you're at a race for the, like, the rest of us are watching? Do they have it on in the media centre and stuff? Can you hear it? Can you see what the F1 TV is doing? Uh, no, you can't actually. And something that 
struck me as being quite odd when I first started working in F1, I don't know if many listeners will know, but actually the race broadcast you get in the media centre is literally just the world feed and there's no commentary and you get the radio messages played out, but you don't actually hear any of the commentary or anything like that. So on, uh, I had my iPad set up, so I had F1 TV, so I was able to uh, listen to the commentary on there. I also listened to um, a lot of the onboards. Max Verstappen's radio was very, very colourful and uh, not all of it was played on the world feed. He was, yeah, he was some uh, quite fruity language at points but um but yeah but we but i think there's always a good sense of um i know it's just a real sort of there's yeah. always a cool vibe like, i think in the pre-race but always before the start of the first race of the season it is really really special and it's kind of this back to school feel and it's um yeah i think that it's just it's just always really nice to get everyone back together and this has definitely been the most normal race since the pandemic started and being on the grid like and seeing sort of lots of mates on there and stuff that was really really cool um one an old colleague of mine and Hayden's it was his first time on the grid today and I was oh, just, amazing. Like, just enjoy it because for me that is that, that remains one of the absolute highlights of my career when I first got on that grid but there was yeah just a real sort of palpable that's probably another cliche Fine. as well actually but it, it, <laughs> it just did feel really it just felt really cool and I think everyone was yeah very excited about the race to follow but it's it's nice that we're sort of getting back towards a bit of normality in F1 and it just feels like even something like the grid is very very much as it was before the pandemic so uh, I um, yeah I, I wasn't in Bahrain last year and it was uh, it, it was a race weekend where it was the that was the um, that was the final race I actually got to watch yeah. with with my mum. Um, she sadly passed away last year, and it was uh, it was a real big moment that I was able to sort of share that with her and watch that with her. And I just thought that it was lovely that a year on that I was on the grid in Bahrain and able to be there. And I felt yeah very um, very proud sort of as Alex. Like it's just amazing how things have changed in the year. Your pinned tweet at the top of your feed is anybody listening to this should go and um, read what uh, what what you what you wrote last year. All right, let's let's I, personally I I thought that the coverage was exceptional. Um, I, I, uh, I'm used to the graphics when I was watching FP1, Other, this is going to take some getting used to, and then within five minutes, muscle memory all changed, I thought the graphics were excellent, the coverage was excellent, the long mics, the weird, long, stalky sticks that get waved about, interviewing the drivers, they've all gone, although we still have COVID, see Daniel Ricciardo, see Sebastian Vettel, not discounting what's going on in that, it does seem we're back to normal now. I thought the coverage was brilliant. The grid was in reverse order. Anyone else notice that? You know, I think I've always watched Formula One. They've always started from position one, but they went backwards. Why not? It makes perfect sense. Um, apart from we're missing a bit of FIA radio, which we won't be, uh, which we won't, we won't be getting. I thought the whole coverage was absolutely brilliant, and of course, leading up to the start as well. Pretty much everyone converged on the same tyres. Max was on used softs, but didn't seem to affect him off the start. Terrible start for. Bob. Bottas, he was the real loser going backwards. Matt, what was the issue with Bottas? Was that just a bad start? Did he just get tons of wheel spin or what happened there? You said it, yeah. I was, uh, I was looking through what he had to say afterwards and it was just masses of wheel spin okay. off the line and then and then that sort of dropped him down a bit and then he was ultra conservative through the opening corners and, and sort of got got hounded out and then um, it wasn't wasn't much better for his teammate as well. Obviously, um, Joe making his F1 debut, I'm sure we can talk about what brilliant result that was for, for him but um, he, he said his car went into anti-stall down at turn one so both of them sort of have had a had a bit of a bit of a scare straight away but obviously obviously recovered well and um, going back to our coverage of testing I think Alpha were one of the ones we, we were sort of more concerned about you know supposedly blowing a hole in their floor because it's porpoising so badly a car that was forever breaking down and, ju- and just not doing doing 
doing the miles basically to troubleshoot it and, and find out what made it tick and then and then uh, Bottas Bottas does uh, on Saturday uh, I, I put a stat up on on um, on Twitter that that is his 102nd consecutive appearance in Q3 so uh, the previous time or the last time he didn't make it through was his Williams farewell which says more about his team but you know it's been so easy to sort of typecast Bottas as a number two driver for ages but I think it's so easy to forget how quick probably a match for Hamilton if not slightly on on the good days better than he is over a lap so impressive quality quality pace and then uh, a racy car today and then um uh, I just uh, another quote from Alpha I was reading what um team boss Fred Vassour had to say and he, he was sort of he was kind of grateful for for the bad starts both drivers say because he, he was so encouraged by how racy the car could be so both both in terms of its pace and also just he was sort of celebrating this uh this new uh, new era of F1 he said Ferrari's at the front and cars that can overtake it's, it's great to be like living in the past it was a you know a, a fascinating first few laps but it wasn't there was no carnage there was a few people going off it puts uh, the McLarens Norris had a, a moment I think he was forced off I think and then I looked up at one point around lap eight and I think Latifi had got back past Daniel Ricciardo so the first few laps pretty bad for McLaren but otherwise everyone pretty much either gained a couple lost a couple um Hayden what do you make of the you know of the start and that uh, as they got off the line that those first opening kind of salvos in the race I've never seen a more well-behaved 20 Formula One drivers for a first race of a season <laughs> ever Fair enough, Ocon tapped Schumacher into a spin uh, in turn six and copped a five-second time penalty for it. Um, but it did look one of those where they were getting incredibly close and probably just misjudged the the size and the viewpoint of these new cars because they basically couldn't see well, where they were sort of clashing into each other. The, the contact point, Ocon wouldn't have been able to actually have seen over from his vantage point, so probably just slightly misjudged it in a way around Schumacher went, which... Um, yeah, again, we'll probably get into him and that team later, but um, really didn't sort of set his his race into a good good momentum. But um, yeah, apart from that, it, I, th- I thought it was a mega save from Schumacher though the way was, the way he yes, sort of brought that spin yeah, yeah. back. I'm, I'm sure like social media teams will be hot on that to try and give it some Tokyo Drift style uh, remixes because uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> he, he only lost three places off that, one, and one of them was to walk on. So I was like, well. You know, if you're going to have a 360 spin, that's probably the best way to do it. So, yeah, it could go for him. But yes, apart from that, it was um, it was sort of yeah, very sort of keep everyone in their places, um, which was which was surprising. Normally, you get some absolute carnage um, at Bahrain and, and first races of the year, and like you say, retirements. Nobody stops or was was DNFing from the race through an accident. It was all obviously mechanical or or make the checker flag. So. Yeah, we'll, we'll see how that goes in Saudi. Obviously, last year that race was a little bit different for, for multiple reasons. So, yeah, it could be a false dawn on that front. Talking of visibility, helmet cam, thumbs up or thumbs down. They were using it a lot in practice and I was starting to feel a bit sick. But I think they limited it to maybe five or ten seconds. And I really like it now. It's really cool that they're using it in races now as well. That's a new thing for this year. Um, our colleague uh, John Noble did a, a good piece on sort of all the new TV uh uh, additions to the coverage for this year and yeah helmet cam it was only used I believe in practice last season so it's really cool seeing that in a race situation they can flip to that and yeah it's it's I mean it's great I, they, that's the closest you get to sort of being with the driver in the cockpit and seeing what they see so there was really, one, really good there's got one moment they were, they cut to helmet cam I think it was as Bottas was passing Albon and they cut to Joe whoever, whoever was behind them and it was just the perfect cut from the director at the right time. It just gave you a driver's perspective of the two cars ahead. I thought it was awesome. Did you notice? So when they when they cut to 
cut to the right show, it, it, it flashed up with a warning message on his steering wheel saying engine too hot, which I thought was great. So <laughs> I, I've seen um, helmet cam for a couple of seasons already covering Formula E, but there, the bottom half of it is always pixelated because they've got so much sort of, you know, data about the battery and state of charge that's pixelated out. So it's it's a strategy race. In Form- Formula One, it was all unfiltered. You could see everything, deltas, brilliant, you know, so it shows messages coming up telling him to call the engine. I, I, it was a really sort of great insight. I, I learned a lot. I spent sort of more time looking at their little LED screen and I did seeing what they were, what they were looking at over the top yeah, of the monocoque. It was very cool. And even un- under lights as well, you got some great visuals off it through the sort of the reflections of the visors uh, and off the uh, floodlights. So yeah, if you yeah take us take a stuck away from the from what was on the dash, and I totally agree, it was fascinating to see what was on there. Um, yeah, there's some great some great RT visuals that I'm sure F1 will be delighted about as well. First round of stops, Hamilton. I think Hamilton was first in. If not, he was one of the first in, followed by Alonso. And then when he came out, uh, I hadn't realised this year that the tyre warmers are going to they're set a few degrees, actually quite a lot cooler. Uh, with the eventual aim of getting rid of the tyre warmers in, in Formula 1. Because when he came out turn one, um, he completely got caught out. So, um, first of all, while I think about it, do you know why they're getting rid of tyre warmers in Formula 1? Is it a cost thing? Yeah, no, it's, I think yeah, I think it's related to cost. And it's a thing that, I mean, there are championships, uh, maybe IndyCar, I want to say, where... Matt Q probably knows the answer to this. Well, I, I was going to say, I don't want to take anyone's point, but I think... Seeing, seeing what would happen with Hamilton with him snaking out the corner, I didn't. I wasn't too like too sure about it because it's it's used a lot in the DTM where they come out their pit stops on on icy cold tires, and it it's it's a step beyond DRS in terms of the artificial overtaking sort of device really because it, there's never a battle. It's just one person skating around on ice and they easily get past. So I don't want to see them go completely or have stone cold tires. But yeah, the D, DTM is the one that sprung to mind because you know whoever comes out the pit they're they're just overtaken immediately. There's, there's, they can offer no defence. Okay, so that first round of stops, it was just the precursor to the, just the best three laps of the race. Lap 15, Max Verstappen, Carlos Sainz came in for new softs, and then lap 16, Leclerc onto used softs, and Perez onto the mediums. And it was that, I guess we're going to talk a bit about outlaps, Luke, uh, but that was the beginning of how Max closed up on Leclerc uh, of those amazing three laps that we saw just talk us through how you saw that and also give us uh your thoughts on whether these cars the action we saw is that the result of this new car design or or would we have seen that last year um did we see those amazing three laps that battle uh, because of this new set of regulations ross braun seems to think so but just talk us through how you saw that that segment of the race yeah it was it was set up a really good battle and verstappen did really well to get such a, a powerful undercut and although later in the race he said that oh like you guys like told me to not push hard enough like i could have easily got past twice the first the first time he did get pretty close like he did take a big big chunk out of leclerc and that allowed him to get so close and again when leclerc is in that sort of initial tire warm-up phase that is that's basically when he's at his most vulnerable and yeah you can really try and attack and i think yeah we saw a good few laps where it was just a combination of the the straight line speed difference was absolutely huge by the end of the straights the red bull was absolutely flying compared to leclerc and it meant that yeah with drs open as well Sappen was comfortably able to get past into turn one but then leclerc was able to just buy this time a little bit 
and then get him back on the, on the run up the hills to turn four at the second DRS zone. Now, at the beginning of that fight, Verstappen was told about his brakes and said that the brakes are running hot. You've got one one shot at this. So that's when Verstappen sent it up the inside, got the move done, then got repassed into turn four. And then Red Bull said, mm, go on, have another go. And he had three goes in the end. And obviously the third and final one was when you saw him lock up, ran a little bit deep, not get the moves on at turn one and then Leclerc was able to pull away again so I think that that sort of showed yeah Red Bull knew already where they're running on the limit in terms of the brakes and temps because he'd been running so closely behind Leclerc as well and been reporting a lot that the car's getting quite hot um, but it was it was a really good fight whether it's down to the new cars or not I think that when we saw that fight everyone went oh brilliant yep F1 2022 they've cracked it these regs are fantastic <laughs> that's exactly what we wanted yep. But then after the race, talking to a few of the drivers, uh, George Russell, Lando Norris, asked both of them, and they were like, nah, I don't really know. They, they weren't entirely sold that these new cars have done exactly what they wanted to do in terms of the following. And I think it's the idea that you still needed quite a big delta in terms of the time, um, that sort of time difference and time being gained to get moves done. But for the most part, though, like there were quite a few decent wheel-to-wheel fights in, in, in the race, I thought, and it didn't seem like any of them were massively yeah I don't know they, they, they did seem able to race each other just, just from what I sort of gleaned from the coverage a little bit better so that's encouraging obviously the drivers in the car they'll, they'll be able to report far more accurately on the, on the actual feeling but it was still really cool just to see that wheel to wheel fight between the clerk and Verstappen and I think that going into the race and it was a conversation a lot of us had it was the idea of we knew, knew how Verstappen was in a wheel-to-wheel fight against Lewis Hamilton when he was the underdog, when he hasn't won any championships. Now he's the champion and he's got the target on his back and he's going up against a, a new range of drivers in the clerk, Sainz, maybe George Russell. How is he going to act? Like, Is he going to start thinking, oh no, I'm not going to take this risk? Is he going to start maybe being a little bit more Hamilton-esque in that regard? And yeah, I thought it was quite interesting that we still saw some of these brilliant dive bomb moves and he was, yeah, really, really aggressive sending up the inside. But I think on the first lap as well, we saw maybe Max last year might have tried hanging it around the outside and this time he didn't. So it's interesting. But yeah, it was it was a really good fight. I think it was definitely the high point of the race and it's hopefully a sign of things to come this year. When the race first started going, obviously the two bits about the new rule changes that most people are talking about are how the cars follow and can overtake and, and how much heavier they are. And I did think for the first couple of laps sort of um, with, you know, maximum fuel on board, I thought they looked so ponderous. But obviously as, as they got lighter, they, they looked they looked better. It doesn't take much to impress, impress me. The cars going side by side, lots of sparks. That that looked great. Um, and then understa- I was trying to understand uh, Verstappen's mentality because he was saying in a pre, pre-race press conference, it's like, my ambition is to win the world championship. It's it's not necessarily to win three, four, whatever. I've done that now, but he was he was still insisting that his motivation hadn't changed at all. And yes, he did conduct himself. What's the right word here? Better. He was less do or die. Let's say in, in the wheel wheel to wheel battle, and and that gave Leclerc obviously a chance to be more considered as well, where he was placing himself in relation to DRS detection points and stuff like that. He he said, you know, he sort of had had the time and the the the, the brain capacity to sort of. Uh, strategize that as he went on but then again listening to Verstappen's uh, radio messages when when uh, the car was sort of starting to break around him it certainly shows that his mentality is not completely changed he's still obviously incredibly uh 
passionate and vocal. So, uh, yeah, so. but that's adrenaline, right? So during the race, that is an element of he hasn't got time to to think about what he's saying. It's it's just his, or maybe that maybe that's what maybe that's your point. That is just his natural racing self. But he sounded a bit on the edge at he, times. But, but he, he and he spoke about this after the race, and he said that that's just how he is. I'm not going to hold back, and he says I'm going to be very very honest. And he said that I have a good relationship with my my engineer GP, so I can I can say this, and he's not going to take it personally or anything but uh, as I said at the top of the show with um, F1 TV listening into the radio yeah Max was I mean some very colourful language that I, I shan't repeat on this podcast but it was uh, it, it was it was quite entertaining at times even some of the things he was coming out with but and you could just hear the frustration as he was struggling with the steering issue and then he was like oh the, the battery is um, again I can't say what exactly he said but yeah. reported a battery yeah. issue and they're like well it's not the battery and then it turned out to be the fuel pump but yeah, Max, I mean, he, he said that I'm going to be honest and I'm going to be forthright. And that's that is just how he acts. And I think that the majority of drivers, they'll be exactly the same on the radio. It's very rare to get a driver who, when the car is failing, they'll be totally ice cool and just very, very calm. Max has always been like that. But it was, um, yeah, it was but even when the safety car came out, he, he was like, oh, for, for sake and mm. he was really really annoyed mm. and it was just little things like that where I was like oh, there's a sort of definite element of frustration I don't know if that's because he knew that he just didn't have the pace to take it to the clerk or what but he um yeah it was it was it was entertaining listening into him again from my perspective you guys are the experts uh, and um, but from my perspective of just watching the coverage in clear air it seemed like he had the pace and I want to know from you guys Hayden I'll ask you first of all is it those outlaps that he was so passionate about. Now, on the Sky coverage, somebody had given Ted Kravitz some lap times and he was saying, no, he couldn't have gone any quicker. But uh, not to do Ted down, obviously, he's an expert, but I was I was thinking, what, how do you know what his maximum pace was? Because so, so few of the drivers are ever given the opportunity in a race to turn the engine mode up to full, to give it absolute maximum attack. And they, obviously they're told, Max, don't take it all out of the tyres in that outlap. And that's what he was so frustrated about is he could have... You know, he could have done it in those those pit stops. Was that two missed opportunities or was he just misreading it in real time? I'd, I'd certainly think missed opportunities is a fair assessment of it. Um, so? There's there's certainly a bit of uh, element of, yeah, if you, you turn up a, turn up the wick a couple more tenths here or there and suddenly he is alongside Leclerc when he's coming out of the pits or indeed in front. And that somewhat changes his opportunities of passing, like you say, with the added sort of factor of those cold tyres coming out on the track. Um, so it makes the overtaking opportunity much, much greater. Yeah, it would have been fascinating to see uh, the Red Bull in sort of clean air a lot more. Um, but sort of part of me was glad it isn't because the pace that they were sort of putting in over practice and indeed during testing, I think if Verstappen was in clean air and at the front, able to sort of manage things on his own, yeah, he would have been off the distance even further than the clerk was getting. So it sort of gave that good dynamic to, to the race. Um, Verstappen after the race also did sort of admit that um, the balance and various setup bits weren't exactly to his liking. So it sounds like they went a bit a bit of a miss. Potentially that was because they weren't anticipating to be racing in in dirty air. Let's still use that phrase um, behind a behind a Ferrari. Maybe it was set up to think right, I'm in the lead and uh, I can do my own thing and basically maintain all systems while still holding a mega pace. So what mm. we're saying is we'll sort of see where they are when they will sort of come to the next races. I yeah, still think with the exception of the the issue that they had, obviously it meant the DNF, they, that car is still rapid. And I think if Verstappen's in the lead 
uh, in this race, he he clears off at a mighty pace. So we'll, we'll sort of see mm. how it goes. But um, yeah, their pressing issue will be that reliability issue with the with the fuel pump or, or fuel system failure, as they've called mm. it. Christian Horner was asked about that, and he said, "Yeah, but if you take more out of the tyres early on, then you lose that later on. So it's kind of it's a it's a trade off. You've you've got to balance. But I think that um, yeah, I believe Helmut Marco spoke to one of our colleagues uh, on the Dutch edition of Motorsport.com as well, and said that sort of yeah, Red Bull accepts that yeah, we maybe should have played the strategy a bit different and told him yeah, push a bit harder on that outlap. But it's uh, it's one of those things that yeah, if Max had." decided to ease off on those early laps and then pass Leclerc with a few laps to go because he had more tyre life then it would look like the absolute best move ever but it's um, <laughs> yeah it was it was, it was was a chance but I think that and Christian Horner said this as well that even if they had got the move done on Ferrari the pace of the Ferrari was such that he reckons they would have been overtaken back again anyway so yeah I think it was always going to be very difficult for Red Bull to get into the lead and then pull away track position I don't think was really going to be enough to get them the the win I think lap 44 Red Bull set off the final round of pit stops 13 laps to go here and at that point Matt how were you reading the race were you you thinking okay with it was 30 plus seconds odd that Ferrari had on them you know were they thinking do you just mirror their strategy completely and every time which they'd done until now or were you saying you know what stay out, track positions, everything. How were you reading that phase of the Grand Prix? I was uh, tuning in for F1 TV as, as opposed to Sky, and it's a conversation that the, the two commentators were having, Jolyn Palmer and Ben Edwards, talk about what what do you do in, in, in that situation. And you'd always be inclined to sort of just match what your rivals are doing because if you've got that cushion you know I think it was about five seconds Leclerc had in hand when they had been on track together that you're always inclined to inclined to mirror them and, and it was you know tearing up this as because but I think something basically uh, Verstappen had to recover like 30 seconds in the, how, uh, in the remaining 13 laps if his car had worked uh, to bring that battle down to sort of out the wire and thinking that looks that looks really ambitious and then he was seven tenths of a second up I think in the final sector of his of his um, outlap uh, when when he got his tyres up to temperature and a second quicker again in, in the first section I think oh okay so it's properly properly on here and they're doing it um, and then and then again it, it, it looked you know like Ferrari had missed their window and then a safety car coming out when uh, Gasly's car sort of self-immolated possibly <laughs> possibly spared Ferrari their blushes you don't know quite how that would transpire and and this is not to do that team a disservice but them having not had two seasons when they've been right in the thick of of, you know vying for for race wins and stuff you do wonder whether they haven't had that sort of pressure cooker environment quite so much and whether that that they hadn't been they were a bit maybe heavy footed in, in that strategy decision how that would have played out at the end of the race but obviously safety car comes out effectively a, a free or a lot a lot less of a painful uh, time loss for Leclerc being able to pit and, and they avoided that situation but yeah it's just interesting they they played it conservative with a small C mm. yeah it was that stage when they threw the or the VSC first oh, Luke let me ask you this so virtual safety car first and then I don't know 20 seconds later full safety car do you agree with that decision? Could they have moved Gasly's car under virtual safety no. car? Because it was right. It, not at it all. was, but no. It, Is that the letter, him, of, it, letter of the law? Yeah, it, it took him a little while to get it moved as well. So no, it was it was definitely like the moment that happened. I thought they would just go straight to the full. But yeah, it was VSC first. But uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, definitely the right call. Like, I don't think there's any way they would have, uh, where it was parts, they would have been able to get that wheeled away just under a VSC. Looked to me a bit like um, when Vettel's car 
heartbreaking FP1 at Zandvoort where you know you still got the lights on and I just don't think I don't think uh, the marshals were given the all clear to touch it so that's why probably it, it that situation developed because he he pulled it up considering you know how how uh how necessary it was for him to uh, vacate the car pretty quickly. He managed to pull it up in quite a considerate place because there's a you know that hole in hole in the armco there they could slot it in. But uh, yeah, I don't think the car was safe to touch, so that's why it became a bit more drawn out than it otherwise might have been. In regards to the race start, I'll be honest. I thought Leclerc did the perfect job and actually sort of undid Max's tactics of being super aggressive and, and being right on on the back of his of his of of, of uh, the Leclerc's Ferrari. But the way he positioned coming into the final corner, the time Leclerc got onto the power, Verstappen's angle, no, the steering issue aside, the steering, the angle was, was not great for him to instantly get on the power as well. So therefore he was delayed ever so fractionally, but enough for A, Leclerc to get ahead and then Sainz to be on his gearbox because Sainz was following also with that sort of wider line. So I think not only with the defending early in the race, um, where Leclerc probably deserves a little bit more credit because... Um, he basically knew what was coming with with Verstappen and was sort of relying on that to then gain DRS and the power of DRS back down to, like you say, to turn four. So again, sort of using his wits about him to know what was likely to come from behind and trying to basically play off against Verstappen, which to be fair, that's that's, that's good racecraft and, and I think the collector deserves some full credit on that. But yeah, with the with the steering issue... So it's, but it sounds like we also wait for sort of Rebel to fully look into it and I'm sure they, they will in the sort of chat about it uh, in the coming days but it sounds like the, when the car was sort of dropped off the jacks on that sort of pit stop it seemed to have an issue to do with, with this sort of basically caused an issue with the steering and that was causing this sort of intermittent locking which is a very unusual issue but um, but whatever's gone wrong there it was clearly a manageable issue but not something that was ideal mm. and certainly would be a distraction at that point but then yeah the terminal issue was, was well something totally different that uh, wrecked both his and Perez's race yeah, I think the, the speculation at the time was something to do with the power steering or, you know, hydraulics. But um, I think, uh, yeah, I think we're going to hear more about the uh, steering track rod being bent uh, or parts of it being bent after being dropped off the jacks, but still no confirmation that I can see see on that. Which kind of takes us on to the end of the race and, and Max's you know ultimate retirement, Perez's ultimate retirement, and, and why we end up with... Obviously, with the safety car so close to the end of of the race, why we end up with the times that we do, because that does, you know, somewhat flatter to to deceive some somewhat. But Luke, that kind of takes us on to losing Max, losing Sergio, and we'll and we'll get on to you know Carlos finishing second, an amazing result for Ferrari. But he was quite down. I thought he was being really hard on himself, um, saying he had a terrible weekend, not hooking it up, and all those kind of things. But uh, Carlos seems to think uh, you know a big job to do. Uh, before before next weekend, so certainly kind of to an extent lucked in, but he put himself in, in that position. How do you read uh, Carlos Sainz's race today? Yeah, he did. He was in. He was. He did everything he had to do. I thought that yeah, he was in the right position, as you say. But there was a considerable gap that grew between him and the clerk through the race and it had really been there all weekend long um science said after practice on friday he said i'm not really understanding how to sort of drive this car to get the absolute maximum out of it and then come qualifying he obviously was in that fight for pole only just over a tenth off off leclerc's pole time and he said that he was relieved that yeah he sort of made that step forward and he was happier but then come the race then again yeah he just didn't he didn't have any kind of like he didn't have the same pace as Leclerc to really take the fights of Verstappen to be up there with the leading two guys. And he said in the press conference after the race that it's probably his worst weekend with Ferrari, which is strange. And uh, one of our other colleagues uh, 
commented that Ferrari's uh, press call after the race was almost like a funeral in many ways, and it was very, very strange. Oh, really? Because, because of just how sort of down the uh, sorry science was, and yeah, he finished second. Obviously, mm. that matches his his best result in F one, and it's a one two for Ferrari, and a great way to start the season. But I think that yeah, science is. That's how he operates, though. He really is very... He knows like when you have a good or a bad weekend, and I think he will know that that result maybe flatters his outright performance a little bit. But I think, similar to Mercedes, like if you look at this race and say, well, that's my bad weekend, and you're still finishing second, that's pretty good going. Seems to be a driver pairing that are both pretty self-deprecating. Reminds me of was it Azerbaijan with Leclerc, and he's like, "What was the phrase? I'm so stupid. I'm so yeah. stupid." And that's been a trait right the way through Leclerc's career. It's uh, it's quite funny. I think his brother's done that a few times in F3. Arthur, he's uh, every now and then has been quite hard on himself over the radio and stuff. And it's like maybe it's a family thing. I don't know. Yes, as you've mentioned, the other Leclerc, so to speak, he had a solid weekend in Bahrain. Currently second in the Formula Three driver standings, just ahead of Oli Bierman, who of course was one of the four Autosport young driver of the year finalists earlier this year uh, Leclerc having a pretty good feature race coming home uh, second in that all right a quick break now stay there we'll come back and talk more about Ferrari's win Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year I was only playing for fun so winning this was a dream come true Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience it's serious fun with over 80 casino style games to choose from you too could win life changing amounts of cash be like Mary log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl that's ChumbaCasino.com no purchase necessary void or prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply see website for details the voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner with the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. We talked about Carlos benefiting, obviously, from the retirements of Max um, and then the retirement of of Perez. Uh, Matt, I want to get your thoughts on whether you think Lewis had enough to get Perez on track because I'm 50-50. What do you think? Could he have done it on track or would it have been a, a Perez third place? I think it just got away from Hamilton. Maybe on the on the last sort of last uh, couple of laps, he'd missed his he'd missed his over overtaking opportunities. I think down into down into turn one and then, and then uh, turn eight. So I think it probably just slightly got away from him. But and then, and then uh, that put him on well, two two out of three people on the on the podium were quite quite almost dissatisfied to be there. I was reading sort of Mercedes. Um, uh, they 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 called it an effective damage limitation weekend, which you know, you know got eight constructors' titles in a row. That's an outrageous statement for them to say. Um, but I think I think you know you can you can read into obviously the powertrains how the Mercedes fair, and I think that's that's something. But they are aware of their issues, so they're saying that one of having to ride the car so high to combat their porpoising, they couldn't turn on. The hard tire. I think Toto reckoned it, or Wolf reckoned it was costing him a second per lap as soon as they made that switch to to hard tire, and, and it was, was sort of wasted. And then uh, they had they had they were putting too much wing on the car because they couldn't bring enough parts to Bahrain effectively to tune it, and and that will come later in the si- system. So mm. that you know would P would PU basically it's not as powerful and high wing. It was a it, 
I think they probably left themselves a bit vulnerable, you know, when, when Hamilton was trying to use DRS to close the gap to Perez. I don't think there was enough, especially as we know that the slipstream isn't quite as effective in these cars. Um, but if they're aware of all those issues, perhaps you can unlock them. But, I, you know, we, we, we caught some flack, I think, all of us, like, when we're writing, no, Mercedes are being more genuine this time about playing down a circumstance. So I've seen, I think we've seen that. And, yeah, third, third and fourth probably uh, flatters to deceive just a little bit there. Can I jump in quickly, Key, just mentioning about press releases and sort of how how, how things are worded. Um, I, I just want to mention Aston Martin, a brilliant press release subject line. Lance, colon, we will benefit from completing our first race. I mean, oh, he's not wrong. I, just, I mean, he's not wrong, no. <laughs> but I just, um, yeah, I, 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 that popped up on my phone. I was like, cool, okay, that's... That, that probably sums right. up how their race went. Uh, let's be honest. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they they got to the finish, so yeah. well done. The unwritten rule of uh, motorsport PR is there's only three subject lines you can have when something's gone wrong. It's like difficult day, testing day, a learning experience for whichever <laughs> yes, team. So, so we had to just building. pick one of those off the shelf. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and then the same for, you know, you could say the same for George Russell as well, same as, as you know, as Lewis Hamilton. Uh, is damage limitation. Didn't make a huge impact, even though he finished fourth um, in terms of, you know, in terms of the race, uh, and again, both Mercedes seem to be, you know, very lucky with with where they ended up. But like I say, you have to put yourself in that position. So, constructors' championship, Ferrari, forty four points. Mercedes, twenty seven points. Haas F one, ten points. That's the, um, I mean, that's, and, and that that's takes the best us, thing of the day. Surely, Gunter was very sweary on the radio to uh, to, to Kevin Magnussen at the end, uh, but also. He said thank you, thank you at the end of his uh, of his message, and I thought that it kind of a bit of an insight into you know I can imagine that 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 telephone call to Gene Haas on a Sunday night is a lot easier when you've just finished fifth. You know the the, the pressure that's on all of, from the drivers, the team members, but the team bosses as well. The, the pressure on their shoulders, just oh thank you, thank you, thank goodness. So Kevin Magnussen back in Formula One uh, with his Ferrari engine, and that might be the story that we're talking about for a while. Um, finishing fifth, uh, Luke. I'll, I'll come to you on on for some thoughts on that. I just this is a, such an amazing feel good story. It is, and it's kind of been a feel good story for the past couple of weeks. Really, obviously, very disastrous and unfortunate and awful circumstances around the world that with the the invasion of Ukraine by Russia that ultimately set the wheels in motion for Urukali and Nikita Mazepin to, to leave Haas and for Kevin Magnussen to return to F1. And Gunsteiner talked about that in his post-race uh, media session. He said that obviously, yeah, there's some things that are far more important than Formula One. And it's not the kind of thing you ever think of in terms of like, oh, well, that happened. So therefore that's led to this situation. But, but I think that Haas, there's been a real the atmosphere has been going one way. It's been a very positive trajectory in the past sort of week or so. And this will only sort of supercharge that basically. Gunter, he was late for his press call because they had a, a team photo. He came and he was like, oh, I'm sorry, I've had to like, I've had to do this photo. And I said like, but that's brilliant that you've had a reason to do a team photo because it's their best results since Austria 2018, scored more points in one go than they have in the last two seasons combined. And it's just a, a brilliant day for the whole team. And Gunter was, I mean, Martin, you said that, yeah, he was swearing on the radio he was a little bit sweary in his media session as well and he said it's after oh, uh, after after two two difficult years worded slightly differently uh, that we've finally got this breakthrough and it's just great for the whole team that they've stuck through this and all of the flack we've 
got and after two years of saying look we're gonna get there that 2022 that's the year they've actually delivered on that and it was just a very it was just a brilliant a brilliant day for them and yeah it's again a real feel-good story delighted for everyone at Haas uh Gunter said that he reckons the the boys uh, doing pack down might finish an hour earlier tonight be sort of uh, g'd up to be a bit quicker if they can get to the bar with something to celebrate and I said oh are you gonna be joining them and he said no I'm a bit of an old man now so I, I might not but uh yeah I'm sure Aww. that it's um it's good and and he and you mentioned sort of talking to Gene Haas and he said that he called Gene and Gene was delighted and his next question was right you got a Jeddah in a week can you do it again but Gunter said that he reckons that yeah it, this won't be their only point score opportunity of the season mm. but to get a fifth I mean just yeah absolute dreamland for Haas given where they were sort of three four weeks ago it's funny you should use those words though because I, I was reading through what what um, Steiner had said and someone said like well do you understand why you why Magnussen came fifth like do you understand you know it's not just a flash and a plan it's not a fluke do you understand he's like I don't want to understand I'm, I'm, I'm dreaming at the minute just leave me be you know and the team members are working just as hard as a as a team that's winning um, and it's just so good for you know everybody in that team although a lot fewer people in the bigger teams um, to have something to to cheer about after a terrible start by Bottas the Alfa Romeo um, he didn't exactly carve his way back through the field safety car definitely helped but to finish sixth even though, you know, at times he thought, oh, you know, is he going to split the Mercedes? There's going to be a story there, like in, in qualifying. It's still, you know, a fantastic result there. And, you know, while we're talking about him, we'll talk about Zhou Guan Yu as well. And maybe that's going to be a really interesting driver pairing with, uh, you know, the old man uh, and, and the young kid. It just, it just could, it could work old really man. well and a really great cut. <laughs> oh, about to He's in his early the wise, 30s. The wise old head. I guess compared to Joe. Okay. But yes. The wise old head. So, uh, <laughs> I would just say, uh, uh, you know. uh, Alex is uh, doing some work on the mag and he's just uh, turned to me and gone, that better not be about me. It's about Val Tubot. <laughs> <laughs> he's 32. <laughs> the old man. Uh, so that could be a great driver pairing this year if the car continues to, um, uh, you know, to, to, to perform this well. Uh, Matt, what did you make of Alfa Romeo today? Great to get a point on the board as well for Joe. Yeah, probably a bit of a surprising one. I, just everything from testing said that this was a team that was sort of rich in problems and poor in track time, and I didn't didn't really see see this one coming. And then we can speculate about you know how much the how much the Ferrari powertrain has helped them, but it was, it was a good result. And I think you know worth worth mentioning about Joe is that I think people made their mind up pretty quickly about him coming in. I, I saw that uh, Stefano Domenicali was uh, asked by Brundle in the Sky Sports coverage, um, basically, did you have a hand in, in getting Jean a grid? Because having a Chinese driver is pretty handy for the shape of F1. He was like, no, no, he's, you know, we, we weren't we weren't involved in, in those discussions. So I just thought it was quite a pointed question to Domenicali. But obviously get, gets points. And, you know, there, were, there was a, a definite gap between him and Bottas, but a good result, good someone good to learn from, and you know maybe he has already been typecast as a, a as a pay driver and 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 whatever. But that's a meritocratic result, and and it, it was an impressive debut. I think I think it was it was almost a perfect debut. He wasn't involved in wheel to wheel scraps. He was like, you know, I, I don't want to say this because it sort of um, plays down the right approach, but he, he sort of just found his place and had a quiet race and didn't get in anyone's anyone's way and and it paid paid off handsomely for him it was a, a good debut a good platform on which to build massively i agree with that and there was sort of key to him getting points was um a late race battle that granted 
um, Joe sort of followed a few through on that. But Mick, yeah, Mick Schumacher really dropped down down the order late on. Um, had a bit of a sort of a stinker towards the end, and Joe got past him and, and grabbed that tenth place. Which, okay, constructors wise with Haas and, and Kevin Magnussen obviously scoring points might not be too uh, pivotal come the end of the season. But if you look at it from a driver's point of view. Who knows how important that that point could be in in the course of the season? It's going to give him a massive confidence boost. Like like Q said, I, yeah, he quite had a quiet race. He kept his nose clean, but he did very well. Uh, and I guess going from anti stall at turn one to finishing tenth is, is certainly not not worth um, sniffing at. So yeah, I, I, I was I was impressed by him. I, I think if he can do a bit more of that and then build a bit of confidence and a bit of pace into his into his package and, and obviously learn from the old master that is Valtteri Bottas, um, <laughs> then who knows what could happen. But, uh, but yes, and I guess maybe, not to Netflix it up, but maybe there could also be a good dynamic in terms of a rivalry between Schumacher and, and Joe because they've got history from their uh, Formula 3 days as, as former teammates. So, um, yeah, look forward to that one. Yeah. Yeah, different cast. There was a nice moment in the the media pen after the race where we were stood. Was basically once the drivers had completed their uh, weight checks and everything like that, they then came out of the FIA garage and basically had to walk past us on the way back down the paddock. And Joe, like he came out and he had his helmet still on and he was he was like hugging all of his like crew and everything like that. And he just visibly looked like it was it was weird. Like I could tell like he was like clearly very emotional and probably crying. But even though he had like his helmet on and everything like that, which might sound a bit weird, but he just the way he was carrying himself was clear. It just meant so much to him. And it took him a good few minutes to really just like get like his helmet off just get his get everything together and really collect himself before he then went on to his media duties and he, he said in the media pen after the race that yeah like, again it's as as Matt you said the idea of sort of being typecast and oh just another pay driver or whatever and he's come in on debut he's performed really really well the car is clearly quick but he's had to capitalize had to make the most of it and I think that he's done a really good job this weekend and I'm already like I'm I'm excited to see what he can do and like when we when we talk about sort of like drivers and how we approach sort of our coverage and stuff and there are certain drivers that do better in terms of like web traffic and things like that and like we we've got sort of various like ways of measuring it and and when joe joined the group we were like "Mm, we're we're not really sure because he's a driver who's been in f2 for so long and not really set the world on fire there earned his right to be in f1 don't get me wrong but has come obviously with a lot of backing and that was clearly a factor in it we weren't really sure sort of like how how is he going to be in terms of like his sort of media coverage and stuff like that but already this weekend he's been i've been really impressed by him he's been he's been just he's just a really nice lad as well which is great um i think he's been very sort of like very honest about things like he said yesterday that he was he just he just said oh it's pretty cool like i'm a formula one driver i've just done my first qualifying and it's lovely seeing that kind of uh, honeymoon period i guess but uh, i just hope that that sort of novelty continues but it's uh yeah i'm really pleased for him it was really good to see him have a point on debut excellent let's talk about the alpines ocon was seventh would have been ninth had it not been for the retirements uh fernando alonso ninth would have been 11th if it wasn't for the uh retirements uh, ocon got that time penalty earlier in the race which is the only time we saw i think the stewards doing too much heavy lifting and as far as i know the remote var style system uh not uh, not being used yet but let's have a quick chat about the about the Alpines. Will they head away? Matt, what do you think? Do you think they had a head away from here happy or a little bit frustrated they could have done better? 
I think probably closer to the latter. We haven't had any quotes from Alonso saying that was the most amazing drive for uh, ninth place you've ever seen, which he, he can sometimes can reel off. But it's just... How do you evaluate it, really? Because it, that Alpine looks like a good upper-middle, you know, car. Mm. But that's where they were last year. And they've got... they've You know, whether it's, it's only a name change, it's still a Renault Grand Prix team. And they came in with this 100 Grand Prix target to get to the front. And, OK, there's been a major rules change. And, and we've seen some teams get it right, some teams get it wrong. But they're they're just stuck to their baseline. They haven't really seemed to have, have gained an awful lot. And, you know, we all know why Alonso came back to the sport was because he thought he'd be certainly fighting for podiums and potential race wins and he, and he, and he's not. So it fine, but it just doesn't, it's not inspiring. It doesn't, it doesn't grab me. And so I'll still, not that I'm a betting, betting person because <laughs> I'm, I'm rubbish at that, but it's still, you know, the sweepstake between Alonso and Vettel as to who's more likely to sort of depart Formula One quickest at this rate. Because I don't think the Alpine, it's, it's another year of midfield toil for Alonso. I don't, I don't see that developing. And although what I will say is my trackside observations, I was, I was really unimpressed by that car, I, I thought Alpine might struggle more than they have done. So they found obviously a sweet spot in time for the race. So it's not it's not as bad as I as I thought it might be. But you know, it's such a if you take this race as a pecking order, you've obviously got Ferrari, Red Bull, Mercedes sort of isolated as a third best team, and then a long way back is probably where where Alpine are. Absolutely. Uh, we've mentioned, uh, let's talk about the AlphaTauris actually, because we mentioned Gasly already uh, and uh, and he would, he would have been on for um, a reasonable result, wouldn't he? Uh, but Yuki Tsunoda coming home eighth uh, and uh, and I kind of, I feel good for Yuki because for some reason I just want to see him stay out of trouble, get some decent results um, and just kind of stay away from, um, I don't know, causing other people headaches for some reason. I don't know if that's a, a just criticism of or observation of Yuki Tsunoda or not, but uh, I've not read any, any interviews or quotes of them afterwards, but he's got to be delighted with uh, with eighth Gasly's car, which caused a reasonable length safety car um, set fire to itself. Or rather, no, that's wrong, isn't it? It shut down first. Because uh, on watching the onboard, uh, the whole the whole car went, so that would imply, uh, and then it was probably just the heat. Is that right? I didn't I haven't seen anything about what actually caused Gasly's breakdown in the first There's place. Suspicion about the MGUK, but it looked like partly like okay. an electrical fire as well. Aston Martins, we've mentioned them already, but Lance Stroll was twelfth, uh, and Nico Hulkenberg, after some promise, uh, and did acquit himself very well had a few had a couple of moments running deep into uh, turn one just uh, either a little bit late on the brakes or just you know recalibrating uh, for one race in for Sebastian Vettel and coming in uh, 17th and um, and last Aston Martin uh, I, I think the biggest praise I heard from them on the, from the commentary team was the car looks good in its livery uh, it's about the best thing i heard about uh, about that cut ouch uh, on the sky commentary williams alex albon finishing uh, 13th nicholas latifi finishing 16th and, and it was just strange it's strange but it was you know it's normal because it happened but um watching that coverage of of of, of mclaren and williams didn't expect to see after Barcelona, uh, McLaren down right at the back and Daniel Ricciardo in last place. Finishing up, uh, Danny Rick 14th, Lando Norris 15th, who I think had a bit of a dodgy pit stop towards the end as well. Uh, Luke, just talk us through whether you've heard any of the quotes from McLaren coming out. I heard it described as an extended test session, another cliche, but... 
Yeah, yeah. I, I, so I spoke to both Ricardo and Norris after the race, and Lando came over, sort of smiling, and I was like, "Are oh, you like, are you putting a brave face on things?" And he was like, "Yeah, basically." And he said that basically we're a long, long way off, and he said we've got to accept that this is where we are right now. And obviously, expectations have been very high because of how they performed in the past couple of years, but clearly. Clearly, the, the the car is not performing right now, and they are really, really struggling. And I, I made the point about the Mercedes power unit cars. I mean, they they finished the customer cars finished in the bottom six positions of the cars who did take the checker flag. And I said to Lando, "Is that what it's down to?" And he said, "Well, no, because the Mercedes cars themselves uh, they, they they were up in in third and fourth." And he said, "It doesn't help, but overall, we're just lacking downforce." And he said, "It's pretty much in every area where the team is struggling." So it was, yeah, I think definitely a, a bit of a sobering day for McLaren because, as you said, Martin, they performed pretty well in the first test, and we thought, "Oh, maybe they're up there with." the likes of Ferrari, Red Bull and Mercedes. And actually, it's not that at all. They really, really struggled today. And uh, Ricardo, he he said that in terms of um, sort of coming back after having COVID and everything like that, he's like, I'm not going to lie to you. Like, it's it's been been tricky. Like, it's been it's been a pretty physical race in terms of getting through it. But he, he he's glad he did. And it was just a very, it was just, as, as you said, it was quite strange sort of seeing the McLaren and Williams is fighting together. And if you'd have said that, a few months ago I said oh well Williams have made a, a big upswing then but actually it's kind of gone the other way it's McLaren who, who've taken this this step backwards so yeah lots of work for them to do but I think that like Lando said there is confidence they can get to the bottom of this but he said look we've been through difficult periods before the fact we've had such success in the past sort of two to three years that kind of gives these expectations and now they've got to sort of start afresh basically and go right this is the reality of where we are how do we fight our way out of it but yeah a very difficult day for them it's quite interesting to wind back to what they were saying in testing I remember when Norris went quickest on day one it's like ah no I don't want to be quickest because people will you know, raise their expectations about what we can do. And then they come here, no downforce. And obviously they were the only team that weren't, weren't suffering from porpoising. You think, oh, maybe they've cracked it. But maybe it was speaking of a car that was, I don't know, not quite pushing the limits. That's why they weren't finding porpoising. But, you know, it's, I, I wonder, this is very cynical, cynical, but was it, is it that old testing trick of you take all the fuel out, you set some highlight, uh, high profile times and then you, then you get the sponsorship deal. That's, that's sort of the sequence of events that sometimes happens. And, and McLaren with their new Android and Google logo seem to have fitted, fitted that sequence of events. Well, maybe. You cynical, never, never. Um, I've realised I've ticked off all the drivers that I wanted to tick off. Uh, and I, we mentioned Sergio Perez. Hayden, what kind of race do you think he had uh, and, uh, and, and, and taking that forward uh, as well? To be honest, a bit of the same as what we'd seen last season of solids, but not quite catching up with, with the Verstappen levels of, uh, of pace. Um, like you say, sort of was behind um, signs, so I wasn't looking on for a podium, but then was was ahead of the Mercedes, which is, again, sort of a, at the moment looks a bit of a no-man's land. I, I wouldn't say it was a mm. bad race for him at all, um, but, yeah, much to be sort of looked at and, um, and a bit more of a, a pace improvement, I think, would be to come. All right, well, that is our... Uh, review of the Bahrain Grand Prix. Luke, you're getting on a plane home. And Matt, you should be getting on a plane out there. Yeah, is that Tuesday right? Tuesday evening I fly. So uh, I've ah. been emailed during the duration of this podcast by Emirates to tell me I can now check in and fill all my forms. So fingers crossed I'll be uh, be heading out to Jeddah. 
<laughs> Someone's doing well for themselves. The inside this podcast needs. Yeah. There we go. There we go. Only flying first. Only flying first. And look, you've been out there for testing and the race. I bet you're uh, absolutely desperate to get home and sleep in your own bed. Yeah, it's it's been. I mean, it's been great. Don't get me wrong. Like, and it's been the Bahrain race is always one of the best run of the year I, I find like the the media staff and everyone are absolutely fantastic and it's uh yeah it's just been but it has it's been a long old stint and uh yeah definitely looking forward to getting home i think and uh yeah recharge my batteries a bit uh, it's a friend of mine's wedding this weekend is in uruguay and i was thinking could i go to uruguay maybe <laughs> i'm not but he's gonna live stream it so i'm gonna oh. enjoy sort of like yeah watching that celebrating my friend getting married and then uh yeah i'll watch the race uh, with my non-work hat on on sunday which would be quite good there's a couple of weeks break between that between 10th and april when uh we're off to melbourne but in the meantime uh check out autosport.com for all the latest reaction from uh, today or yesterday's race probably as you're listening to this podcast now check out autosport magazine out this thursday thank you for listening and we'll see you soon Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. American Giant is the leading manufacturer of American-made clothing. When you choose American Giant, you are saying yes to clothes made under the highest standards, ones that support sustainable jobs, living wages, safe working conditions, and use high-quality materials. Plus, they have a full range of timeless, durable basics for men and women. Wear your values in the new year. Get 20% off with code NY23 at American-Giant.com. That's 20% off at American-Giant.com. Code NY23. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.